It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Izzy Kempe for breakfast, and uh, we're joined by Alex Brotherton, freelance football writer for, and uh, for over in the UK, and we want to talk some football, Champions League, the EPL, but also want to touch on the current state of football and why fans are so passionate. They are, f- are passionate about the, the League One, the top leagues, but they're also passionate about teams that I've never even heard of. And Alex, you're just about to go and watch your local club side and it's potentially going to be sold out. Why are you so passionate about football when down under in New Zealand we are absolutely struggling to get any numbers to a professional, semi-professional competition, a major competition in New Zealand? Yeah, I think it's just, um, I think British people, it's just um, a lot more ingrained, I guess, in the in the kind of culture here than, than maybe it is in New Zealand. Um, you know, as, as we've seen, with the with the women's world cup uh kind of in over the summer you know in australia and new zealand soccer is becoming more popular but i think here in recent years just the, the price of premier league football how expensive it is it's kind of driven people to go and watch local games a lot more you know it's cheaper you can stand nearer the pitch you can drink uh, alcohol if you want near the pitch which you can't do in the in the premier league and you know you just get more of a feel for it you can t- talk to the players you know, you can sort of stand wherever you want. You don't have to sit in your seat. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's just a, a way that I think a lot of fans of Premier League clubs in the UK uh, are getting close to the sport that they love without the sort of the expense and the and the kind of hoops that they have to jump through these days. Um, so, yeah, non-league, semi-professional football in the UK is, is, is enjoying a really sort of good moment at the minute. Well, the top league, the EPL, you're, you're con- going to continue to have the numbers flow through there. They're seeing the best players in the world. But when you talk about the, the smaller clubs, is there a real connection from the club to the community? Uh, what are they doing on the ground to have a real sense of pride in their teams locally? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, obviously, it varies from club mm. to club, but I can speak... Uh, I can speak for the for the club that I go and uh, go to watch West Didsbury and Charlton AFC. So they're a club from the south of Manchester where I live, um, and they're a very community focused club. And bearing in mind they're playing in the ninth tier of English football, so I don't even I don't even know if there is a ninth tier in New Zealand. But but um, most clubs at that level in in England probably get you know maybe a hundred fans to a game. Uh, whereas West Didsbury and Charlton are getting, you know, 600, 700, sometimes 1,000 fans at a game. And I think that's really because um, they're really connected with the community. They're doing fundraising for sort of social causes. They're offering a kind of a, a sort of a safe space, a very accepting, tolerant atmosphere to perhaps groups um, 
don't, don't always feel welcome, sadly, in professional men's football, such as LGBT communities um, and, and women and sort of families with younger children as well. Uh, because, you know, top level football can be a very sort of um, testosterone filled kind of male dominated space. Um, so I think especially at that level, there is a there's a real a real uh, ability for teams to connect with their community and attract sort of people that wouldn't necessarily go to football matches. But, you know, they, they're quite happy to go to these kind of games. Um, but, yeah, it's very, very rooted in the local community. Alex, you've got um, just just to catch on that, you've got you know this fa- this romance with owning a a EPL club and you've got Jim Ratcliffe who's looking to buy 25% of Manchester United still but you also got people from outside the country like Justin Rees who's gone into Southend to 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 basically looks like bail them out what what is the what is the the romance around owning owning a club in uh, the UK now is it just simply because you've got a chance to get in the EPL um yeah, that's an interesting one. I think um, you know, there's not. I think I think there's just there's always been this kind of romance, hasn't there, with you know, perhaps buying a club or taking over a club lower down, and you know, working your way up through the leagues, um, and as you say, you know, trying to get to the EPL. Um, and yes, there's a lot of foreign ownership of of clubs in um, in in the Premier League, um, sort of, and there's the big debate about you know, kind of sovereign wealth funds and states um, and, you know, energy drink companies uh, buying teams and that kind of thing. But uh, lower down, you know, there's there's a real movement at the minute of fans coming together to own clubs. Um, you've got, you know, FC United of Manchester, um, lots of other sort of lower league clubs that have, their, their supporters just want to own their own club. They don't want to be at the mercy of, of some millionaire or billionaire that they never see. Um, but in terms of, you know, um, uh, the South End situation, you know, that's great. If it they're a really historic team, they're on hard times. So if if, if the owner comes in uh, from Australia and and does a does the right thing and gets the club back on their feet, then that can only be a good thing as well. All right, mate. Let's talk about the EPL Champions League. Manchester City started the year six and one. They are first. They suffered two losses in a row. They lost last week to Newcastle in the EFL Cup and lost in the league Monday to the Wolves. Is a back-to-back treble still a realistic goal for them this season? Yeah, I think um, they are the best team in the world, uh, and I think with the with the sort of the manager, obviously with Pep Guardiola, the quality of the players they've got, the 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 quality of football that we all saw them play last season. I don't think you know. Yes, as you say, they've lost twice in the last week, mm. um, but I don't think there's any reason yet. You know, we're not at panic stations. It's not crisis mode. There's no reason to suspect at this early stage of the season that you know they can't do go and repeat that it's a huge ask because you know there's a reason why why no one's ever done the treble twice in a row there's a reason why only two english teams have ever won the treble it's incredibly it's an incredibly difficult achievement to pull off so i don't chances are they won't do it again but there's no reason why they can't um and they're not they're in a little bit of a, a sticky patch at the minute but as they're still top of the premier league table they've only lost one game out of seven they're in a decent place uh, and obviously they're in European action in the Champions League on Wednesday night. Um, so that'll be an interesting one to see how they get on uh, against RB Leipzig. That should be a, a decent game, a tough game, but an interesting one. 
Erlen Haaland, uh, obviously we know what he was able to do last year and he's been dominant figure for a very long time. But this year, are we expecting the same from Erling Haaland and second year Blues potentially maybe on the cards? I mean, yeah, it's a, I, I've, he's scored eight goals in, in seven appearances so far. So if, if this is him <laughs> having second year Blues, then long way to continue. Um, but no, it, he's there's been a few games so far this season, especially, well, what, the defeat to Wolves at the weekend, Wolverhampton, that was one where he was a bit quiet, wasn't getting too involved, wasn't getting the service, barely touched the ball for, you know, there was big periods of the game where he barely touched the ball. Um, and I think that's more perhaps a sort of systemic issue, tactical issue that Guardiola just needs to work out, you know, how best to, to give him the service that he needs to score goals because we all know now that if he gets the service nine times out of ten, he'll put the ball in the back of the net. Um, you don't break all the goal-scoring records by, by being a, a one-season wonder. He's shown that he's an incredible goal-scorer at Borussia Dortmund. He's shown it at City last season. And he's already showing it now. He's top of the goals uh, goal charts for this season. Eight goals in seven games. So I don't think uh, I don't think anyone's worried about him sort of having a massive drop-off this season. Yeah, absolute freak. Well, let's talk about that game. Liverpool and Spurs 2-1. Diaz's goal being ruled out. How ugly has it been up there? in the UK, and especially now that uh, I think that, that audio's come out, hasn't it? Yeah, it's um, it's been the, well, you can't really look at the sports news without seeing that story over the last few days. It's um, it's completely dominated, and rightly so, I guess, because, you know, it was, more, obviously these things happen, and it was... Um, it was a human error that resulted in the uh, the goal, the goal, the no goal decision not being overturned by the video assistant referees. But it's kind of highlighted that there is still problems with VAR, um, and there needs to be much more transparency. Um, maybe the pro, the the issues with the referees' understanding of when to, you know, you know, sort of step away from the protocol and go, you know, what we've made a really big human error here, big mistake let's just intervene and put it right rather than mm. just carrying on because that's what they're supposed to do. Um, and yeah, you're right. I think I don't, I'm not sure if the audio has been released publicly yet, but Liverpool have been given the recording today um, and it is set to be released um, publicly as well. So I think that's, that's the right di- direction to go. I think, you know, on the one hand, you've got to think, well, Darren England, the VAR official who's at the heart of this, um, it could turn into a pretty well. It already has turned into a bit of a pile on on him. So you have got to think about his well-being because at the end mm-hmm. of the day, football's a game. It was a human mistake. It shouldn't have happened, but it did. Um, but I think also fans and teams um, do deserve the transparency of having these recordings so they can fully understand what happened, rather than the kind of confusion that seems to have been happening over the last few days, where people sort of not getting the, the full story. Um, so yeah, I think it's probably a good thing that it comes out. But hopefully um, things can change and, and we can try and, you know, it's four years, I think, since VAR has been started to be used in uh, the Premier League and it's there's still major issues with it. So something something needs to change. Technology is a major part of sport today. We've got our own problems down here with the TMO, the bunker, particularly in rugby league and rugby union. Um, is it Are we reliant too much? on technology now and it's kind of taken away from officials actual officiating 
Yeah, I think that is one of the issues because mm-hmm. I think in an ideal world, um, the technology, you know, doesn't take away from the officiating. I think mm-hmm. it's it's the point of it is that it's there as a kind of, you know, a fail safe. If a mistake is made, the mm-hmm. technology comes in and corrects it. But I think what we have seen a lot of is that it's kind of used as a safety blanket too often. So you've seen in the Premier League that, you know, you'll see with just a small example, like linesmen won't flag for blatant offsides because they're worried that if it's wrong, it's too much of a faff or too much too much trouble to go and sort out. So they'll keep their flag down for a good five seconds after the, the play and then they'll raise it. And that just makes everyone exasperated and frustrated because they're just using the technology as a, as a fail safe they're, they're like if something happens at least we can then rule it out so i think i think it's more of a, an issue perhaps of officials needing to learn how to use it better maybe um but i also see the other side of the argument where it, it does take a little bit away from the spontaneity and the raw emotions of sport you know when supporters that uh, travel up and down the country spending hundreds and thousands mm. of pounds to watch their team celebrate a last minute goal and then there's kind of a pause of a minute to two minutes and then they realise it's been ruled out, um, <laughs> which is like, it's just not really in keeping with, with the real emotion and the real attraction of, of sport, why everyone gets into a sport like football for those moments um, when they can be sort of retrospectively chalked off. It does leave a bit of a, a bitter taste in the mouth. So I wouldn't go as far as to say that technology is kind of ruining the sport, but I think the way that it's being used at the minute is not having it's just not really good it's it's having a negative impact so either it needs uh, we need to find a way for it to not do that or it might just have to be scrapped altogether yeah beautiful love that love that answer alex so all right let's talk about quickly my team that i love supporting and i love watching but they've been struggling as of late manchester united only one spot above chelsea sitting 10th got beaten by crystal palace two games in a row they also have issues with Jadon Sancho, who they paid £85 million for. His voice, he wants to return to Borussia Dortmund. Un- unhappy under Ten Hag. What's going on there, mate? Uh, yeah, so, obviously, well, United have had their worst start to a, <laughs> to a league season in 34 years, I believe. Um, yeah, it's it's a strange one because when, Eric, obviously, Eric Ten Hag... Uh, it, last season was his first season in charge and there was a lot of positive things going on. He was getting the team playing more in his style after, after a rocky start. They got to the FA Cup final. They won the EFL Cup. Um, but this season, it, it's kind of felt they've gone back a couple of steps. Um, I don't think the the sort of their dealings in the transfer window really helped. They, a few of their deals were completed late on. Rasmus Hoyland, the new striker, was injured when he arrived, so he didn't really have a pre-season. He's started playing now. Uh, Sofian Amrabat was a player they were linked with pretty much from some point last season, and they didn't even sign him until deadline day this summer. So, And, and even then, it's only on a loan. So he was a player they really needed, came in late. It's all very disorganised. There seems to still be a disconnect between what Eric Ten Hag wants to do and what the the sort of the board, the sort of the higher ups at United are willing to sort of sanction the players they're willing to go with, um, the direction they want to take. And I guess you mentioned before with Jim Ratcliffe um, still interested in a minority state, this all sort of trickles down from the the ownership issue, which you know 
no one really knows still what's happening. The players don't know who's if the club's going to change hands. You know, that affects their tra- transfer business. It's not good for Ten Hag. You know, he wants a stable environment to do his work. So it's all just a bit of a mess, really. Um, and as you say, with the Jaden Sancho situation hasn't helped either. He had a falling out with, um, with Ten Hag. I think it was back at the end of August. He... Um, he was left out of United's squad when they played away at Arsenal. They lost that match 3-1. Ten Hag said afterwards that the reason was because he hadn't trained properly. Then Sancho came out on social media, gave a statement which basically said that's not true. He said that he'd been used as a scapegoat since he joined the club in 2021. Uh, and since then, he hasn't been involved for United. He's been made to train by himself. He's been banned from the first team facilities. Um, and Ten Hag sort of repeatedly said that, well, it's up to him if he wants to come back into the group. He kind of has to prove that, you know, his kind of um, his attitude is better, that he's tra- going to train better, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, so it's it's all a bit of a mess, really. Um, and yeah, it's very frustrating for Manchester United fans, I can imagine, um, because they've spent an awful lot of money this summer to give Ten Hag some of the tools that he needs and it's not really working and now on a Tuesday they've got a potentially tough Champions League match against Galatasaray there will be no pushovers uh, and there's the extra narrative of Wilfred Zaha returning to Old Trafford <laughs> um, a decade after he went there and didn't uh, didn't really impress too much so that'll be an interesting one to keep tabs on for sure well, the miss starts at the top with the Glazer family. We've heard what's been going on with them and uh, potentially might be a change of ownership, might be uh, for the good of Manchester United. Alex Brotherton, we appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much, mate. You take care and uh, hopefully we can catch up with you again soon. Enjoy the club game. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me on.